If I start praying right now, I'll start crying and I won't stop till I'm done. So, And I'm not even slightly kidding. I shared with Pam on the way here that I am emotional today. I am often emotional these days. Uh, but it's not because of New Paris. Sorry. Like Steve, remembering Randy and the history of the church and the reading from John 17 and Ephesians 2, I am overwhelmed at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have, I'm like a racehorse. You ever seen a racehorse before a race? Trying to be loaded into the stall, stomping and chomping and ready for the gate to open up. I've been doing this since two o'clock this morning. I have had a wonderful time of worship and I pray that what I'm getting ready to share with you may be life-changing. Now, when I look at y'all, this is a very different looking congregation than the one I'm used to. Flip it. Put a lot more gray hair in this room. Put six or seven walkers, uh, half a dozen canes, and we might be getting there. Uh, we do not have a choir. I won't let us have a choir because I don't want all of those old people up there screeching in the name of Jesus. So I let them sit behind me and I let them sing and get me ready to preach every Sunday. And by the way, I tell them the exact same thing I'm telling you. But we are blessed in Tip City. God has been working wonderfully in our church. I'm currently right now teaching through the Gospel of John in Sunday school, preaching through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, teaching through Revelation on Wednesday, and then going through Hebrews in my podcast. So I am all over the New Testament, and that makes it difficult to come and preach for you this one-and-done sermon because I have six messages to give to you, and Reggie told me that I have about 25 minutes to do it in. And I figure we have no hope, all right? So we're going to go through the entire book of Ephesians today, and I'm not even kidding, and I want you to listen very carefully to me as I prepare to do this with you. What I'm going to share with you today, if you will take notes, if you will listen, will change your life, or will full out your, fill out your already changed life in such a way that you will never be the same. Now those are big words, right? But I'm serious. I believe with all of my heart what we are going to look at very briefly today. If you will take this skeleton, and that's all I'm giving you is a skeleton. And if you will combine that with faithful, humble obedience, studying the word of God, walking with one another in the body of Christ, your life will be forever changed. There are a lot of young people in this building today. I have you in my heart and mind this morning. You have no idea what lays ahead. You have no idea what God desires to save you from and save you to. Even if you have an idea, 
you have no idea. You can only lay hold of it by faith. There are probably two types of Christians in this building today. The professors, those who profess Jesus Christ, they speak of Christ, they sing of Christ. It's only on their lips. And then there are the possessors. Those who through the grace of God and the glorious gospel have repented of their sin and the Holy Spirit of God has come and indwelt them and they possess eternal life through the presence, the guarantee, the work of the Holy Spirit. It is my hope and desire that every one of us will be possessors, not just lip service people. If you are faking it, if you are going through the motions, if you are living your life with one foot in this world and hoping that you have another foot in heaven, then you are a lukewarm person, a lukewarm Christian, and all you're going to get from the Lord Jesus Christ is spewed from his mouth. That's what he tells us in Revelation. It is my heart's desire to share with you what you need to know so that you will never have to fear that experience. And I hope you pay attention. In Ephesians, we're going to read just a couple of verses to start with, and then we're going to flip through this book fairly quickly. In Ephesians, beginning in chapter 1, I would like to start reading in verse 3. Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. This grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, Gentile believers, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, you would anoint this place in such a way that we would hear your word and not just hear it with our physical ears, but hear it with our heart. I pray, Father, that what we share together would be so clear, so concise, that we can take it with us wherever we go.
that we can build through the work of your Holy Spirit a Christian life on these things. Give us those resources that we need, that we can look to, and that we can gauge whether or not we are in the faith. Give us those resources that we need to help us to not only be saved, but sanctified, and not just sanctified, but also glorified in eternity. Father, do your work in and among us as you desire to do. And Father, I pray that you would work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you a series of P's. I like alliterations. I've always liked alliterations. You may not even know what an alliteration is, but that's a whole lot of P's this morning, okay? I like them because it helps me remember things. I have to have tricks because I'm not a real intellectual sort of person. So I'm going to give you this list of P's, and then you can check out if you want to, or you can stay around for the rest of the message. The first P is praise. The second P is pray. Third, perceive. Then pray. Then plead. Then put off, put on, and peace. Now I've got 20 minutes or so to go through all of that. All right? And Steve is already laughing and he says, there's no hope, brother. But we're going to find out. What we want to do here is we want to understand what God wants us to build our lives around, okay? We have to start, first and foremost, with who God is and what he has done. You will never go very far in your Christian faith unless you recognize who God is and what he has done. And when you know who God is and what he has done, now you are prepared to praise him. And Paul does that for us in the first few verses of this first chapter. He says, Praise be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why should we bless God? Why should we, like David, say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why would David tell himself to bless God? Well, God has done amazing, wonderful things. We could start with creation. We can go all the way through the Bible. We can look at the promises that have already been guaranteed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those things recorded in the book of Revelation. We can get all of that, but what Paul focuses on here in Ephesus is what God has done for us, what God has done in us. And what's amazing about this first chapter and going forward is it talks about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He never tells us what we've done for God. He doesn't even bother calling us to do something for God. He just tells us about our election and predestination, our adoption, the indwelling, and all of these things that he has done in redeeming us from our sin in Jesus Christ. And what we should get is God has done it all. God has done it all. He has done everything that you and I need to have forgiveness of sin, to be born into the body of Christ, and to live effectively and to die securely in Jesus Christ. He's done it all. And because of that, guess what we need to do? You guessed it. Praise. How do you praise God? Isn't that a wonderful question? By the way, if you need a good seat in church, I suggest that one right over there right in front of the monitors, because I'm pretty sure it's the loudest place in this building. And that's awesome. It's probably because Nathan's deaf, all right? 
But that's an awesome place to worship. You can just lose yourself completely in the worship service. And if you know me, I like loud music. I have to keep it down until Pam gets out of bed. Then I can crank it up, me and the dog. We can praise God with our music. We also praise God with our words. Talking to him, praying to him, adoring him in our prayers. We also praise God by telling other people about him. I'm not just talking about the gospel, but Jesus should never be far from your lips. And then you praise him, I think, most effectively, by the way you live. If all you're doing is listening to the music and saying some prayers and just mentioning Jesus from time to time, but you're not backing it up with holy living, blameless living, you are wasting your time. You have to couple all of those other ways of praising God with holy living. And Paul goes on as he moves into the end of chapter 1, and he prays. He prays for the Ephesian saints. He prays for them the way I pray for you, the way you pray for one another. He gives thanksgiving. He thanks God for what he's done in the Ephesian saints' lives. And then he prays for God to do more. Isn't that a great pattern? I don't know how to pray, Pastor. I, I, I don't know how to really put... Listen, thank God for everything and everyone that he is working in and through, and then ask him to do more. That's prayer. That's what Paul does. He does it in Philippians. He does it all over the scriptures. He just simply thanks God and then says do more. And we'll see that again in a moment. The third thing we've got to see is after praise and pray, we got to see... How to perceive. If you were to flip over in Ephesians chapter 3, you can see this. We have to perceive. What I mean by perceive is this. We have to be able to understand what God is doing. Do you know what God is doing? Are you still with me? You know what's neat about this young congregation? You look just like the older congregation in Tip City. The eyes start to glaze over. The heads start to bob. You start to look through me into the back wall. But I'm not going to let you get away with that. Are you paying attention, JJ? Focus right here, brother. Perceive what God has done. What has he done? Well, Paul, in talking about his personal relationship with God the Father, he perceives that God wanted to bring Gentile believers into a relationship with Jesus Christ and meld Jewish believers and Gentile believers together. Paul perceived that God had called him through Jesus Christ to this gospel message of taking the gospel to unbelievers who were Gentile, who were not Jews. And Paul talks about that in the first uh, part of chapter 3. He goes on and he says in verse 8, and by the way, if I read all of these things to you, we'll never get done. So I'm just going to give it to you and you'll have to dig with it, uh, dig it out on your own. But in verse 8, Paul says these words in chapter 3. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given to understand the mystery that God was putting Gentile believers and Jewish believers together, to understand that God wanted Paul to be the messenger, to herald that. He says, to me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He perceived what God was doing, and he perceived what part he was to play in it. 
Here's why perceive is important to you and I. God is doing something today. If you watch the news, if you look out into the world, you may miss that. But God is doing work. He's doing, working out his purpose and his plan in the world today. And you, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a part in that. But so many people just put their Christian lives into cruise control. They just kind of, it doesn't seem to matter. I'm not going to die for a long time, so I can just do whatever it doesn't. That's not right. What is right is finding out what God is doing in the world and then getting on board, utilizing the gifts he has given you, being led by the Holy Spirit he has indwelled you with, and doing what he has planned and prepared you to do in this world. Too many of us are just trying to blend in with culture. Too many of us are laying down on the job. I'm not called to preach. I told Josh if I couldn't preach today, he was the next guy up. You know what he said? Because we bowled a lot of games this weekend. He said, I'd rather carry you to the pulpit, Papa, <laughs> than preach. Evidently, he's not called to preach yet. I don't know. But what are you called to do? Are you a young person? You're called to work alongside of God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to cultivate and lay a foundation of godliness, of faithful obedience, of submission and servitude in your life now. You're to obey this book, the Holy Word of God, in finding out what God not only would have you do in your life, but who he wants you to be married to, how he wants you to formulate that household, and how to work together in the body of Christ. He wants you as a man to know what it is to be a godly husband and a godly father and a godly son, and it's in this book of Ephesians. He wants you as a woman to know how to be a godly wife, a godly mother, and a godly daughter. And he wants all of us as Christians to know how to be a gifted, serving, working part of the body of Christ. Paul writes that way, and Peter writes that way, throughout the New Testament. It's amazing to me how many times they tell us about being a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a son or a daughter. It must be important to God. And yet we mail it in as parents, as children, as spouses. We mail it in because we do not perceive. We do not understand. We don't get what God is doing and what our part in what God is doing is to be. We're to perceive God's plan and his purpose and our part or our stewardship in it. The next P, he does it on down at the end of chapter 3, it's pray again. You know, Paul does a lot of praying. He tells us to pray a lot too. We're to pray for God to move powerfully. Can I read this with you? I'm doing really good on time. Verse 4, I'm playing. I couldn't care less what the clock says. Uh, verse 14 says this, Paul, for this reason, because he perceives what God's doing, he understands his responsibility, his stewardship in it. For this reason, 
I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Why does he bow his knees? Verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length, the depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he prays. When's the last time you heard somebody pray like that? We do a lot of praying in our church. Most of our praying is about so-and-so who has cancer, so-and-so who's in the hospital, so-and-so who fell. We have somebody falling every single week in our church. Old people fall down. Just get ready for it. Uh, that's what we pray for a lot. When's the last time you heard somebody praying that God would open the eyes of the weak believer, give strength to the one who is failing, give understanding as to the height, depth, breadth of the love of God? When's the last time you heard people pray powerfully for the spiritual things in our lives? I hope you hear it all the time. More than that, I hope you're doing it all the time. I hope you are on your knees. That's what he says. I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you are on your knees pleading with God to impute his righteousness, his understanding, his word, his love in the hearts and lives of those people around you. Pray for yourself first. Pray for that person who's closest to you next, spouse, parent, child, and just keep on going and let it ripple out in your life. After we praise God for what he has done and then pray, giving him thanksgiving, when we perceive and we begin to pray powerfully for God to move, it is amazing what God does. Do you know where he does it chiefly? In your heart. So many people tell me, they don't see God moving very much. If you want to see God move, let him move in you. Get on board. Open yourself up through confession and repentance. Acknowledge what Paul does. To me, the least of all saints. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't cling to his godness, but he laid it all down, and he became found in form and fashion as a man. That's what we're called to do and to be. Humble, lowly, Considering one another is more important than ourselves. And we go to church and we hear the words. We sing the songs. We know the truths. And we walk outside and toss it all aside. We do it. I do it. I see it all the time. You see it all the time. And we wonder why God isn't moving. He is. 
I don't know how many of you will hear the message today. But God will have his word heard somewhere. I don't have to worry about who hears it. I only have to worry that it's said, that it's shared. So we're going to pray for God to move powerfully in our lives, in the lives of those around us. And then we're going to plead. I woke up a lot of really old Christians in Tip City when I preached this message. I'm in chapter 4 now in Ephesians. I've only been working in Ephesians for eight months now. They don't ever expect some of them to live to get out of Ephesians. I'm not sure I'm going to live to get out of Ephesians. But verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul has laid this groundwork in the first three chapters of doctrine and prayer. Doctrine is so important to you and I. We need it so desperately. He lays that foundation. And then he says in chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Now I want you to pause there for a second. Because I think this is critical. Paul has mentioned several times that he's in prison. That he is suffering for the gospel's sake. In the spread of the gospel. And I believe what he's getting ready to do here. As I think he's pulling at the heartstrings of the Ephesian people. These people love Paul. They love Paul like I don't think any other church. Maybe Philippi. You can go to Acts and in the, around chapter 20, they weep because Paul is going to Jerusalem and they know he's going to be arrested. They know he's ultimately going to die. And they are weeping and they are begging him not to go to Jerusalem, but he has to go. And Paul, I believe, here is pulling on their heartstrings saying, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I'm in jail. Don't forget that. I'm in chains. Don't forget that. Because I want you to pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. I am using my situation to make you alert and make you aware. He goes on and says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I beg you. I plead with you. I implore you. I urge you. I who am in prison want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And immediately my simple mind goes to, hey, I must have a calling. I do. And you have a calling. What is that calling? To be holy and blameless before him in love. It's not a calling to preach. Uh, yeah, that's in there. It's not a calling to teach a Sunday school class. Okay, yeah. It's a calling to be Christian. To be Christ-like. To be holy and blameless. Romans chapter 12. To not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's our calling. He pleads with them to be Christian. Not to be saved. They're already saved. He's already identified them in verses 1 and 2 as, as saints, as faithful in Christ Jesus. They're already in a good place as far as their salvation. But he pleads with them to be sanctified, mature in Christ, to press on, to keep moving forward. He pleads with them. Two things we have to do. We have to hear the plea. 
Are some of you young people capable of that? Does God work in young people's hearts? Y'all are looking at me like, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to that. I hope you're doing this, even on the inside. If God's not working in young people's hearts, we're all doomed. Of course he works in young people's hearts. I'm not just talking to moms and dads. I always talk to them second. We as young people, you hear that we? We as young people, yeah. We need to hear the plea to walk worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. That means live up to the calling. And he explains that. But not only are we to hear the plea, we are to extend the plea to others. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, sons and daughters, those people close to you who, who are either lost or early in their faith or struggling in their faith, we need to plead with people to walk worthy of the calling, to live up to our salvation, to walk worthy of the blood of Christ. Now, I have to tell you, I never will get there perfectly. I am a sinner. I struggle in the flesh. But I must hear the plea and I must plead with others. That's what we're to do. And then moving on. Can't believe I got this far. On down in chapter 4, and there's so much good stuff here I want to preach, but I can't. In verse 17 and following, we're to put off carnality and sin. Did you hear that? If you don't hear anything else I'm saying today, would you please hear this? We're not to think sin is cool. We're not to think worldliness is something we ought to uh, dabble in. We're to put off the old man. That old man that Justin read about in chapter 2. That one who is in sin and dead in their sins and trespasses to God. We're to put off that sin. When we got saved, we were to repent, turn away from sin, and turn to the righteousness of Christ. That doesn't mean we spend our whole lives doing little old spins and going back to sin, going right, going back. Give it up! There is nothing attractive about sin. Put it off. Dump it. And then it says, put on. I like this part. It's my favorite part. Put on the righteousness of Christ. I have people that I share with who will ask me, and I know exactly who they are. How do you do that, Pastor? How do you put on the righteousness of Christ? How do you put on righteous living and holy living? And Step one, put off the other stuff and replace it with the things God tells us to replace it with. I wanted to preach out of 1 Peter chapter 4, maybe 10 years from now. There it says that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, labor in prayers, affectionately love the brothers and sisters in Christ, and serve. That's a really good outline, by the way. You know? Look for the day of Christ's return praying. Be sober and vigilant in prayers. 
Pray that God would keep you from sin. Pray that God would keep your eyes focused on the straight and narrow path. Pray that he allows you to read and to study and to uh, ingest God's holy word and then allow it to come out in your life. When you blow it, and you will blow it all the time, repent, confess, and move on. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once we're cleansed, put on the righteousness of Christ, which at its heart is love, 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 love. Forgiving, suffering, humble, gentle love. It's all there in chapter 4. Put it on. And then the last thing. By the way, it says put on for the next three chapters. Is peace. I am 63 years old. I was two years from being born when this church began. The one thing I've wanted more in my life than anything else is to know what peace is. I used to want to know what joy was, but I figured that out. Peace is a whole different thing. Because every morning I get up with this sinful flesh. And every day I fuss with this sinful flesh. I know what Paul means when he says, Wretched man that I am who can deliver me from this body of death. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing all the time. Uh, You know. If you're trying to live for Christ, you know. Where's peace? Well, in this book, in Ephesians, it's talked about in three different ways. First, you've got to have peace with God, right? You can only have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, allowing him to cleanse you from your sin. And then, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. Justin read from chapter 2. God also has provided peace between one another, between us. Now, he's talking primarily between the Gentile believer and the Jewish believer as he has taken the two and made peace between them, making them one. But there's not much difference between God having peace between me and you. Sometimes God needs to make peace in my marriage with Pam because she's not as good a Christian as I am. I lied. Sometimes God's got to make peace between a son and a daughter, a mom and a dad. There's a reason why God tells us so often that we need to love one another gently with long-suffering. Because you guys are hard to deal with. I am too, right? I'm not easy. You're not either. So God, in Jesus Christ, if we will listen and be led by the Spirit, He can make peace between us. And there's so many churches, so many relationships where peace doesn't exist. Why do you think that there's a Methodist church over here and a Lutheran church over there? And a... They all split. 
because they couldn't have peace together. Not only are we to have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have peace with one another under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but I need to have peace with myself. And I think that's the hardest one. So many of us just don't like ourselves. We don't accept ourselves. We're trying to project a false self to the rest of the world. We're trying to be cool or fit in, act like we got it together, or we know what's what. So many of us, and by the way, young people, every person in here struggles with this. You will never stop, even when you're as old as dirt like me. But you can have a big hand on it if you want it. You need to accept who you are. You know who I am? I'm like Paul. I am a sinner. I don't revel in my sinfulness. I allow the fact that I'm a sinner to drive me to my knees before the cross. It makes it very easy for me to repent because it's never far away, the fact that I'm a sinner. If I blow it with my wife, I tell her I blew it. There's no excuse for it. I ask her to forgive me. We move on. She does the same thing with me. The more I recognize my sinfulness, the more I can appreciate the love, mercy, and grace of Almighty God in sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sin. So I accept who I am. I'll laugh at who I am. There are lots of times in my prayers I say, well, Lord, <laughs> I blew it again. And then I say, but what did you expect? <laughs> this is what I do. Help me to grow. And you know what? Now listen to me. He does. I don't have a temper like I once did. Aren't you grateful, Pam? Yeah. I love like I've never loved before in my life. I'm a lot kinder and gentler. Now I have a long way to go. I'm only telling you this for one reason. God is faithful. Don't look at who you are or where you are right now and say, Oh, wow, life stinks. I am a mess. You are a mess. But God glories in straightening out messes. Join the crowd. Confess the truth. Repent and come to Christ, either for salvation or continual sanctification. It never stops. But hopefully in your life, you're spiraling upward. That's why Paul writes, I press toward the mark. I press toward that goal. Why would Paul need to press? He was almost perfect. Paul knew he wasn't almost perfect. Paul struggled with peace just like you and I did. Like we do. I have a favorite word that I use now. God worked in my life while I was out of the ministry making boxes and before Tip City. 
I told the Lord, if he ever wanted me back in the ministry, I promised to be one thing and one thing only. Transparent. I want whatever you see is what you get. This is just all I am. No facades, no pretension, no games, no gimmicks. I confess everything. I talk openly and straight with my congregation, and they have a hard time with it sometimes. But that's what's wrong with the church today. We all gather together, we all sit in our seats, and we're all pretending. We're all putting on a show. And then we all walk out and we go a hundred or two hundred different directions and nobody knows what anybody else is doing because we're not transparent. You can't weep with those who weep unless they weep in your presence. You can't rejoice with those who are rejoicing unless they're rejoicing in, your, in the presence. You can't help people who are struggling unless they say, man, I'm struggling. And I'm not talking about with cancer or with a sickness or with this or with that. I'm talking about I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with lying or with anger or with lusting. I'm struggling with wanting to fit in. I'm struggling with being a real Christian. There is great peace in transparency. You're not lying to anybody. You're not deceiving anybody, especially yourself. So here's the question. Sorry, son. Here's the question. What did you come here for, and what are you going to leave with? You want to celebrate the past 65 years? That's awesome. Let's do it the right way. By making tomorrow and every year that follows, so completely surrendered and dedicated to the God that it's unbelievable. We can't live in the past. we got to go there. we got to go there. And nobody can do it for you but you and the Lord. If you're waiting for a special message, if you're waiting for the miracle word, it's not coming. God has given us his holy revelation. Everything I've shared with you, all of these P's, that's all this book is. Praising, praying, pleading. <laughs> you get it? Everywhere you look, put it off, put it on. Have peace. That's what Jesus died for. You can understand the whole body. It's almost as simple as love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. That's the whole book. It's too simple. I've got to figure it out. You're not smart enough to figure it out any more than that. That's why God made it so simple. And if you think I've lost my last marble, you think I don't have a clue, then what you need to do is pray for me. Because I'm praying for you. Every day. And by the way, there's a bunch of old people in Tip City who've been praying for you guys for several weeks. They're so thrilled that you're celebrating today. Half of them wanted to come with me today. I said, don't. There won't be anybody there for Pastor Chuck. By the way, I've never met Pastor Chuck, but he's preaching today. So here it is. Finish well. I don't care where you are. I don't care how old you are. Finish well. 
Don't be deluded by Satan's lies or by fleshly desires. Finish well. Pray with me. Oh, Father, there it is. I don't know how to put it any plainer. I don't know how to cover it any better. And I know it's not what you are worthy of, and I know it's not what these people deserve. But you, Father, with your Holy Spirit, you, Father, with your willing in our hearts to will and to do, you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ. You can do what a mom or dad can't do. You can do what a spouse can't do. You are God. And I'm so thankful that we have you to rely on. And now, Father, I pray, take these people, take your word, and press them together. Somewhere, somehow, take one thing from your word and change a thought, change a mind, change a heart. I'm so thankful to be able to know that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we are able to conceive. All for your glory. So, Father, glorify yourself. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.